Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Good morning. Um, this morning, uh, as part of our, our service, we're just going to continue to worship Him, and uh, I'm going to uh, thank you so, so much. Uh, I don't know what we would do without uh, people like this who know exactly what to do quickly. Uh, I was talking to JP this morning before we started the service, and I said, uh, my, my goal this morning is I'm going to try to handle two iPads, all right? Now, I understand this morning that uh, I struggle with one iPad, and so we'll, we'll see how this goes, all right? I, uh, I want us to just pray as we continue this morning and... Uh, and I want to ask you to be asking the Lord this morning that uh, God would show you something uh, and show me something as we get into his word this morning. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for grace. Thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we always need your voice. Uh, we need you to speak to us. And so, Father, this is no different at this moment, this time. And uh, thank you for Nika's uh, testimony. Thank you, Lord, for the, the worship we've had already with, with song. And Lord, we just give you praise, and we ask God that you would continue to help us to, to hear you today. Uh, open our hearts, open our minds. Uh, Lord, speak to us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So uh, when I was a, a starting pastor in a church, I, was, uh, I, I wasn't the pastor. I was a guy that was, uh, my job was pastor to the teenagers. Uh, that was my 100% job, working with students. And so that was my first ever church, what I would call my first church gig, uh, I worked with, uh, with students, and um, I wanted to inspire my, my students to be better than, than they could be and to, to think about a different type of a life that was inspiring and amazing, and so I decided to, to uh, rally uh, about uh, 30 or so of our students uh, into combis, and we drove from our little town. I was working in the state of Texas in the United States. I was working there, and and so we drove from where I live down to a place called Houston, Texas. You may have heard of it. Uh, it's a really massive city in the United States. It's one of the biggest cities in America, uh, but on the coast uh, in, in Texas. It's just right there. It has its huge ship harbor, and so it's, uh, it receives people from all over the world, even till this day. Houston is just enormously filled with people from all over the world. It's, a, it's really a unique, interesting city. We were driving our students down to a place. Uh, in the middle of Houston, so inner city Houston, where uh, was a place where, where primarily uh, some, of the, some of the poor, we would call inner city homeless people lived, and uh, they struggled not only with income, but they also struggled with uh, language barriers. They struggled to operate and function in the city and get jobs because they had language issues. A lot of migrants, uh, Hispanic speaking and other languages, all mixed together in this uh, in inner part of Houston, and uh, uh, very often, very much like cities around the world, uh, Houston has like cities within the city and communities within the community that are kind of closed in in those cities. We have the same thing in Ventuk. Uh, we can name spots all over this place that uh, just on the surface you see that, well, this is a higher income area, this is a lower income area, this is a place that uh, is known for this culture. So we're, uh, cities are like that around the world. Houston is no, no exception. So in this city, and we were going to work with a, uh, a single white lady. This is very important for you to understand because she had, she had left uh, Georgia uh, in a small, small rural town in Georgia uh, growing up with a particular culture and given her life to Christ. 
And uh, God had called her to work uh, as a missionary within the city of Houston. So she had moved from Georgia and had moved into a house in the middle of a different culture, in the middle of the city of Houston, to love them and to give her life to the poor and the hurting uh, of inner city Houston. Her name was Mildred McWhorter. And uh, she ran a, uh, basically a center in the center part of Houston, helping them feeding, clothing, and uh, uh, every single day of her life in danger. We went to work with her and to help her out and to help my students that live in this small town in Texas up north to come down and, and see what the other part of the world looked like. And so for about two weeks, um, we, we gave food out and we helped people uh, get clothed and uh, we worked with in dangerous areas. We, we slept. It's funny to me now, but we slept in this area that had uh, chain link fences and razor wire on top of it. And, and, and that was unusual for me then. Uh, that, that sounds normal now in my life, but in, then it was unusual. Uh, but, uh, and then we would welcome people every single day, uh, uh, students, older people, families, and just minister to them, love them, and give them food and, and uh, help them with clothes. Uh, we learned so much from Mildred. Mildred uh, said so clearly to all of us, look, you know, your job here is not to judge the, the motivations of the people who are coming through the center. Your, your job is to love them and to treat them with decency and respect. And so said everything we do here is to help people understand that they are decent, respected, important people, and we give them opportunities here to, 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 to take another step in life, to, to maybe take that step that they were not able to because of their income and their, their cultural uh, background, their social status. But the whole goal of this is, is to not judge, but to love. And that's what she did. She did it for 35 years uh, in the city of Houston, uh, remained single. She says, uh, <laughs> I, I never married. Uh, she says, I've chosen to be single. She said, because I don't think I could have done what I've done and been responsible for a husband and children. Uh, nonetheless, uh, as a single white lady in this neighborhood, uh, she adopted three children uh, of her own, uh, people who had lost parents. On a weekly basis, they fed 900 families. Uh, they gave English classes. Uh, they helped with Bible studies, recreation programs, citizenship training, and more. Uh, she was assaulted over and over and over again uh, by people in the neighborhood. Her tires were slashed well over 200 times while living in this neighborhood. It was not a safe place for her to be. It's this little single white lady uh, working in a place that she wasn't comfortable with. That could have been a single anyone. Uh, it was what God had called her to do. She died in 2018, and uh, uh, the Houston Chronicle, the main newspaper for Houston, wrote that uh, this was our own Mother Teresa uh, who passed away, and a tribute was written about her. Uh, there's a big center still today in Houston that serves uh, the people who, who need help. Uh, her son, uh, Lane, uh, wrote this uh, about her. She said that when, when he was 11 years old, uh, Ms. Mack, that we called her, stood with him uh, at the hospital and, uh, and watched with him as, as her mother passed away. And as they were walking out of the hospital together, uh, she leaned down to him and said, uh, son, I'm not going to try to replace your mom, but I'm going to be the best mom I can if you'll let me. I'll be your mom. And Lane writes, he says, she never felt 
As Mildred McCorder uh, was aging, uh, Lane moved to be with her and helped her in her dying days. Uh, Lane says that uh, his mother, his adopted mom, uh, always, always loved. That love was the theme of her life. And in whatever way she could express this, she lived this life. Now, I love this story because, uh, you know, being able to have experience and being around and seeing the ministry firsthand, but I love it. And we love these kinds of stories because we love to hear stories of people who live out what we believe to be uh, what Jesus actually stood for. When we, we, when we think of these people, Mother Teresa is inspiring uh, because we realize she was willing to sacrifice so much of her own comfort in order to love so many. She loved well. Uh, the legacy of Mother Teresa is, is that she loved well. She was a lover of people. This is the legacy of Mildred McCorder is that uh, her life was known for how she loved and she represented what we believe to be the Christian message. And that is that we are to love uh, and we, we need to be known by that. If, if, if we're known by nothing else, the church that follows Jesus Christ needs to be known by love. And the writers of Scripture would agree with this, right? This is what John, sitting on the island of Patmos, says in regards to Christianity. This is, he's written this towards the end of his life, and he's looking back on his, uh, the days he walked with Jesus, following the Christ. This is when he says, Dear friends, Let's continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is what? God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. And not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since, we, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us a spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. The reality is, and unfortunately this reality is that uh, our tendency is to is not to, to stay fixed on love in our walk with Christ. We, we either, and I, and I think we, we, we pull between two, two specific areas, we either uh, uh, shift into rule keeping or ritualistic religion, or we seek after some power that is absent of God's love. If I could illustrate this in a way, I believe uh, this is what we do. Um, this, this model hopefully will help us understand uh, what I believe to be a reality of our lives. Uh, ideally, uh, we need to be the, 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 the smiley face. Can you see the smiley face up here? Uh, uh, Laura screen. if you need to stand up in the back, that's fine. We will not judge you. Uh, but for, for life to be as God intended it to be, we need to be focused on, on God, God being love. So we're focused on God. We're focused on love. And we live our life... Um, with this perspective, um, and we balance uh, in our lives, hopefully we understand that the, the rituals of the church, religion is only a means to lead us to Christ and to his love. And as we focus on him, uh, we operate within the traditions of the church, uh, the, and, and you might even say the, 
the, the ideology of, of, of living a holy lifestyle, so the rules, uh, what God's expectation of us, is balanced with God's power in our lives as he enables us to be that person focused on him and focused on his love. I hope this model makes sense to you. Uh, I believe this is the design. God calls us to this. So if we want to uh, uh, take this one step further, according to 1 John 4, 7, uh, God is the initiator of this love, right? God came to us and initiated this love, came to us, loved us. And as he loves us and as we experience this love, according to, the, to 1 John, uh, we become then uh, people who also love, uh, inspired by God, empowered by God, uh, and and God moving in us, we become people who also love. So God loves us first, and th therefore we love. And ideally, we would, we would have in balance understanding that the, the traditions and the, the goals of our life are, are held in balance with God's power. We're able to, to live this out in, with God's power, but we do so focused on Christ, focused on his love and operating in love. See, you have to understand that uh, Jesus, when he entered to the world, entered into a world that looked more like this than the model before. Uh, people who were obsessed not with, not with God's love, not with God himself, but with the rituals of the day. This is, this is the, the world Jesus entered into when he came to earth. It's a world that was consumed by ritual. You might even say that Jesus dropped into a crazy world uh, of society ruled by cultural laws and temple ritual laws. A whole world of industry uh, was wrapped around these rituals, both cultural and religious. This is the world Jesus entered into. And he addressed that right off the bat. He said, listen, I've come to do something new. You read his teaching in his sermons. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. And there's so many of these words of Jesus Christ. You've heard this said. Basically, this is what you've been doing. Now this is what you need to start doing. And the way of Jesus was the way of love give you some perspective here of the laws. Now, if you've been reading your Bible, uh, you're probably getting close to those areas of Scripture that uh, give the laws, the Old Testament laws that are in detail. I, I don't know. If you actually are reading your Bible, um, I would imagine that at some point you're going to read some of those Old Testament laws and scratch, and scratch your head and wonder, good grief, what is this all about? Has that happened to you as you've read the Old Testament? It happens to me, I just, so if you are afraid to say that it happens to you, just know that it happens to me as well. The other day I read uh, about laws related to, uh, so rules about uh, fathers selling their daughters. And um, I was bothered by that. Uh, I don't think that's the heart of God, but it's in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I would think there would be rules simply, do not sell your daughter. Uh, but these rules are, are uh, how to sell your daughter, not not to sell your daughter. There's rules about uh, what kind of slaves you can buy and uh, how that works. That's in the Old Testament. So when we look at the Old Testament, there's no surprise that people who are coming to faith outside of you know our church and coming to or outside of the church of God, looking at Christianity, uh, as they read through some of those laws in the Old Testament, you can you can see how. Uh, they would scratch their head and wonder, is this really the heart of God? Is this who God is? Jesus came to address those issues when he came to the world. He said, listen, this is, you've heard it said, but I say, do this. The way of Jesus is the way of love. And, and just for the record, 
Uh, God does not support dads selling their daughters off. That's not, uh, that's not the heart of God. Uh, God is, does not support slavery. Uh, this is not who he is. Uh, we could spend another whole sermon trying to dissect those Old Testament laws. We're not going to do that today. Understand that we're under a new covenant with Christ. God, Jesus, when he landed, came to introduce something new. And uh, this new thing was, was designed and orchestrated and enveloped in the love of God that uh, for most people in his day, they had never seen anything quite like the way Jesus loved people. Estimates are that there were at least 613 different commandments in the Jewish law uh, that people were, were obeying in those days. Uh, there was uh, rules about saying a blessing before you did anything. Uh, in other words, this would be some, a poem that you would quote a blessing over that moment. Uh, there was ritualistic uh, rules about how you washed your hands and specifically about what you were eating and when you were eating. There were different ways you washed your hands. Uh, there was all these different festivals that they celebrated, uh, just, you know, and there were rules about how these festivals were to be celebrated. But probably one of the greatest laws that was practiced by the Jewish people was, was circumcision. That was one of the, the biggest rituals of their day was ritualistic circumcision. And, and uh, this was addressed post-Christ as Christ came in and changed lives. He, he said, listen, this is not actually a requirement anymore. So he was addressing this issue. Uh, God, as he came in, was dealing not just with people who were, who were obsessed with the, the temple law, ritual law, but also there were these kinds of people as well who were obsessed with cultural law. And this is the kind of uh, people that he was dealing with. God comes to us even today and, and says this to us, that we also could be obsessed with uh, either religion or ritual, rules, uh, and we can live in, in that kind of a world as well. This can be our focus. We're obsessed with this. Praise the Lord. The Bible gives us living illustrations of people who struggled with this issue. Uh, one of those is found in the book of Acts, uh, which I uh, encourage you to, to read this uh, and actually focus on the book of Acts. It's incredible to see how uh, as Christ comes in and transforms lives, the Spirit of God comes. You see this movement of God uh, through uh, the world, and this is documented in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 tells a story. It's after Paul and Barnabas have been to a place called Antioch. Uh, these are all people who were not Jews who had given their life to Christ. There was this huge movement happening in Antioch, and, and Paul and Barnabas were up teaching, training, walking with them, and um, Jews got wind of all the amazing things that were happening in Antioch. And they heard that people were, were coming to faith without being circumcised. Perish the thought. And so they actually sent delegates from Jerusalem up to Antioch to address this issue. And they began to tell people, listen, you know, you before you can come to Christ, you have to be circumcised. Not circumstanced, but circumcised. <laughs> And so th this was frustrating, of course, to Paul and Barnabas, who had been gloriously delivered from all the rules, the Jewish rules, and had, been, had discovered the glorious freedom that is only in Christ Jesus. And they had seen God liberating people in Antioch, Gentiles uh, that were not Jews, 
who had been totally transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, and then enter uh, the ritualistic religious of the day and judging them for not being circumcised. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas went down to Jerusalem to meet with uh, some of the religious leaders of the day to have a conversation. It was a difficult conversation because there were still believers there uh, one of them actually being Peter and James who are struggling with this. So the brother of Jesus and Peter, you know who Peter is, uh, dealing with these issues and wondering, well, could, could you actually be a follower of Christ if you were not circumcised? This is a big deal for them in those days. After hearing uh, Paul and Barnabas, this is what Peter said. Now, therefore, why do we test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. He was saying, why would we ask them to do something that we were never able to do successfully? To follow the entirety of the law. So, so many details. He says, we were never able to completely be this kind of person. Why would we ask them to do that? Jesus Christ has saved us and saved them in the same manner that he has saved us. And so they were sent back. Uh, uh, the, the great summary of this was when they said uh, that we should not actually make it difficult for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ by adding things on top of Christ and only Christ. This is what Paul wrote uh, in his letter to the Galatians. I love this. He says, uh, the law uh, was our tutor to bring us to Christ. So all of these rules and regulations were only used by God to bring us to the living person of Jesus Christ himself. That we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. The rules, the rituals are designed to tutor us, to lead us to a, walk, a walking relationship with Christ himself. It goes on to say this. Uh, he says this, Let, let's run with endurance. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews entirely, but this is what he says. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to what? Looking to Jesus, the, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our temptation is to focus on still the ritual, the, the religion, the church, rather than Christ himself. This is where God wants us to be solely under that relationship and walking and living in that relationship. This is echoed by writers throughout the New Testament. We see this in Ephesians 3, Paul praying that, you, that people would be rooted in Christ's love. Uh, you see this um, in, in 1 John 3. He says um, that see how much the Father loves you because he calls you his children and that is what we are. You just see this echoing that, that the Christian faith is a walk that looks something different than denominational or ritual life. It, it's, it's, we're not known for the, the, the buildings that we live in, uh, that we worship in. We're not known for all the rules that we keep, but we need to be known for how we love. And if love is absent, we're in trouble. God loves, therefore we love. But we have this problem where we, we power seek, right? Um, we, we, we look for the rules and we, we order our lives by the rules. We might even ask the question, well, how much can I actually get away with and still get to heaven? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked anyone, if I do this, will I be punished? Can I do this? 
I sat down with a, a man one time who was single, and he said, listen, I know the Bible says that I shouldn't have sex before I get married. So I'm actually coming to talk to you because I wanted to know, uh, I need you to tell me not to have sex before I get married because I know that's what the Bible says. <laughs> we had a great conversation. Um, I tried to help him understand that the reason for not having sex before marriage is because it would hurt the person he had sex with. It was a love issue. It's not a rule issue. Why do we not sleep around? Because it hurts the person that we sleep around with and creates regret for them later. Hurts them. It's not an expression of love. But within marriage and commitment, that's where that's supposed to happen. And that's an expression of love. That's why that rule is there. That's why that law is there. So we're either rule-seeking uh, or rule-keeping, or we are, I think, in many ways, we are power-seeking. And this is kind of where we vacillate between the two. Either we keep the rules or we chase after the power. problem with this, of course, is that in chasing after the power, uh, we're outside of, of God's standard, right? Outside of God's uh, perspective, outside of truth. And... Uh, and God becomes just a, a means by which we get everything we want and a means by which uh, everything, uh, you know, all the power we want and all the, the glory and all that. But it's all about self. It's, it's, it's absent of God's love. Whereas rule keeping actually keeps us outside of, um, of, of God's power. Uh, power seeking keeps us outside uh, of the rules. The problem with this way of living is that you're never able to uh, succeed outside of a living relationship with God. Uh, Jesus can become merely an expression of culture, uh, created by culture. We, we treat him that way, like he is not a real person, but he's just some fabricated uh, thing that culture has put together. He becomes uh, either the Middle Eastern Jesus, or in, unfortunately for a lot, he is connected to what some people would call the white Jesus. And, and he's, he's not followed because of who he is, but he's rejected because he's connected strictly to a culture. He's not a real person in our thinking and the way we operate. So we can chase after the power and totally miss out on God. We can also miss out on, on his standard. We see the church operating in this way. Unfortunately, I don't think it's the real church, but we see the church operating addicted to power, in love with power, chasing power, uh, outside of any kind of morality. You don't have to look very far to find these kinds of, quote, I put this in quotation mark, these kinds of churches that boast uh, about God moving in very powerful ways in their midst, whether miracles or whatever else, but, but they are also known, unfortunately, for their immorality. And for the way they hurt people and how they operate. They are known most for their power, not their character. And these are not the kind of churches that God says are, are from him. Again, uh, thank you, Lord, for giving us living examples of, of this in Scripture to help us understand and teach. Acts chapter 8 gives us an incredible story of a guy by the name of Simon who was a sorcerer. So before he gave his life to Christ, 
uh, he was uh, practicing witchcraft. He was into witchcraft, and uh, he, was, he, he gave his life to Christ. And then, as they were moving, um, he saw Peter doing miracles. In this particular case, in Acts chapter 8, uh, Peter had come to a place where they had not received the, the Holy Spirit, and so he laid hands on people, uh, Peter did, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so Simon, seeing and, and th that, seeing miracles take place, went to Peter and he said, listen, can, can I please, can I buy this power, whatever it is, can I buy this power so I can also lay hands on people and their lives can be changed? You probably can tell stories just like this that are happening today. People going to particular denominations and churches and trying to have a meeting with a leader of that denomination to see if they could also... Uh, you know, have that power to be able to lead in that way. Peter replied, may your journey, may your money be destroyed with you <laughs> for, for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you of your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. The problem with being in love with power outside of being in love with God is that uh, our focus is away from morality. It's still about self. Love is void. Love is absent. And we're focused on ourselves. If you're wondering about a specific church that you should attend uh, or be a part of, you're wondering about their theology, look, see how much their religion, see how much their expression is about lifting up self instead of God. How much is focused on a personality, a character, as opposed to God's love? Very often, our attraction to these kinds of places are that, oh, he's good looking. <laughs> says, I don't really know what his theology is, but man, he's a good looking guy. He's a really good speaker. He's such a, he's so articulate. Man, I love listening to this guy. Uh, do you know that he uh, is not a person of character? That's fine. I, I just love his sermons. <laughs> he does miracles after all. He does leadership development. But, but does he love? And does he love well? Unfortunately, we have many illustrations of this throughout our world of people who are extraordinarily good speakers, good-looking people, you know, branded themselves all over the Internet, uh, churches around the world. They're known, their names are known, but they're not known for their character. All of us have been disillusioned by these kinds of people in our lives, our, our churches where we, we see the form of religion, but then we see absolutely no character. And, and we're bothered by these, these kinds of places because what seems to be coming out of their mouth is not how they live their lives. And, and we also can be those people. We can be known for uh, pizzazz and amazing presentations. Uh, I, I don't think New Song will ever be known for amazing technology, maybe someday, but... Uh, but we could be known for so many things, but if we're not known for how we love, then we're falling short. God loves, therefore, we love. The, the proof, the proof is 
100% that we love people. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So we, as followers of Christ, are the recipients of an extraordinary love. That, that's the transforming part of our life. It's not that we have a new set of rules or that we have this new supernatural power, although you know, the rules and, and power are, 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 can be great. But the defining wonderful aspect of being a father of Christ is that we have, first of all, been loved by God, and then we become lovers of him and lovers of others. That's what defines us as followers of Christ. So God loves, right? Therefore, we love. And if we love, what do we do? Because we love him, we do what? We obey him. I challenge you to try to reverse the order of this. You will not be successful in trying to obey God unless you understand that he loves you, right? Or if you've experienced his love, you are unable to obey him outside of having experienced and receiving his love. That's what, that's what the writer, John, says again in the Gospel of John. He says, listen, you, are, uh, you cannot obey him unless you love him. We obey him out of that love and after having been the recipients of his amazing love. So we obey. God loves, therefore we love, therefore we obey. And we get into this pattern of obedience. There's always that potential danger, right, of shifting back over to keeping the rules. This is what happened to many churches in the New Testament. It's written about, especially the church of Ephesus. Uh, they forgot their first love and continued to, they jumped back into the rules and regulations. And, and they're warned. You see this in the letter in, in the book of Revelation. You see this warning to the church of Ephesus that they've lost their first love. And they need to go back to it. We have this potential as well, is that we get into this pattern. We've been loved by God, so therefore we love, therefore we start obeying. And then we get focused again on the rules. And we start operating outside of God's power, outside of God's love. And our lives really struggle. So we obey, and we do so what? By faith through grace, right? We, we do this by trusting in that relationship, walking in a relationship, abiding in Christ. We do so by faith and through grace. Grace being all of God's power, all of God's love. That's how we operate. The goal of the faith is to become more and more immersed and indwelled by the love of God. And, and we actually, as we come into perfection, we are perfect not in our rule keeping. We become perfection is defined in how well we've loved. How well have we loved? The writers of the New Testament say this over and over again that we become perfect in Him as we become perfect in how we love. Love is the test. God loves, we love, therefore we obey, but we do so by faith through grace. There's that potential danger here again, right? We can, we can be shifted over again to, oh, just power, power. Yes, I love the power. Chasing after the power and the miracles outside of the, God's morals. There's always this potential danger as we walk. We have to be reminded over and over to, to keep our focus squarely on 
God, who is love, and to root deeply in his love. We've, we've been on either side of this, right? And we've been unhappy. We've been power seekers and never fulfilled. We've been rule followers and never satisfied. We keep setting standards. We might even hit that goal. And then we spiral because it's outside of God's love. It's outside of God's power. It's just merely a goal we're setting for our life, void of that relationship with God. And that's often where churches become so still and, and dry and boring. It's because they just become places where we're trying to, to keep, you know, to keep our image up. We're going to church to satisfy someone else. We're just trying to do the right thing. Church is basically a duty in, instead of something that we do because we love God. Uh, this, this can be true with any ritual of our faith, reading the Bible, even sharing the gospel. You can actually share the gospel and be a jerk. Let me tell you about Jesus. You're dying and going to hell. Oh, you don't want God? Great. Bye. You know, we, we become these grouchy evangelists. You've probably seen these people where they're, they stand before others and they're angry when they speak to you. They're ticked off. Kind of like have a Jonah moment where we're just ticked off that God loves the world. Because we're not experiencing his love. And so we operate in anger and frustration. God wants us to, to be known for, for how we love. It actually simplifies things, right? It says don't, don't try to keep all the laws. Just do one thing. Love. Love God. Which then moves into loving others. So, this is what Jesus says. After he's washed the disciples' feet, he's about to be crucified. He's humbled himself. He's taken a towel. He's washed all their feet. He's about to be put on a cross. And this is what he says to him. It's one of his last things he says before he's killed. He says, so, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. What? Say it with me. Love each other, just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What is our greatest proof? What is our greatest evidence that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Is it that we have a building, a church, or is it that we follow the rules? No, no, no. Everything about us it leads to us loving. We are known by how we love. This is what God invites that all of us into. It's, it's what he said. He said it very strongly. You see this in Matthew 5 when he stood one of his, uh, one of the greatest sermons of all time, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus standing and, and sharing about this new way. He said, blessed are the poor. <laughs> That's a radical sermon, isn't it? Blessed are the poor. Are you kidding me? Blessed are the poor because they realize they need Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they are comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And on and on. He's just incredible. It's a different way of thinking. And he goes on and says, listen, we need to actually uh, uh, do things differently. He says, uh, you're the salt of the earth. So, so go spread salt everywhere. Be lovers of the world. He says, you're the light of the world. So declare the, the wonderful works of God uh, on the rooftops everywhere. Declare his greatness. So be people who actually tell others about the love of God. 
Matthew 5 through 8 is just this one new way of thinking after another. I encourage you to read it on your own time. But some of the issues here says, uh, teaching about anger, he says, listen, you've heard it said, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. So if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought in front of the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. This is the teaching of Jesus. Don't be angry, he says. Teaches about adultery. He says, listen, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I say that if you just look lustfully at a woman, that you're committing adultery. Teaching about divorce. He says, you've heard it said that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This is tough teaching, right? You go and read Matthew 5 through Matthew 8 at this new way of thinking. And uh, you will not escape without being convicted and challenged by the way you live. Look, there are rules, there are a lot of loopholes, right? You can look at the Old Testament today. You can have an opinion about all those laws that we read about in the Old Testament. But there's one thing you can't argue with, is the words of Jesus Christ in regards to how we love. There's no loopholes in that commandment to love. There's no loopholes. What if we ask the question, what if we ask the question, what does love require of me in this situation? Not what are the rules, what can I get away with, but what does love require of me? People who've been loved by God ask these questions. People who've been loved by God Order, reorder their lives to become lovers of people. Again, Paul says this. When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is what? Faith expressing itself in which way? Love. Our faith needs to be expressed with love. That is, that is who we are as we've been loved by God. We then love. Uh, he, he goes on in Galatians 5.14. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's think about this. Isn't that radical? Every single thing you've ever read that could be defined as a law from God <laughs> or the rules of the church, the rituals of the church, everything can be summarized into one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The fact is, is that we really love ourselves. I don't know anyone who had to be taught to love themselves. We're good at that. Man, we are so good at that. That is our first reaction. We are experts at loving ourselves. So Jesus said, listen, if you want to know how to love people, well, love them like you love yourself. Right? Simple. Matthew says this, and the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. If you did it to one of the least of the sisters, uh, brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This idea that we love him. So God, as we love, we are also loving him. We're invited uh, to love in a spectacular way. Jesus said love is less complicated, right? But it's more demanding. Uh, you might 
look at this today and you might think to yourself, well, this is, uh, this is maybe a, a hippie way of living, that it's all about love. But, but I would suggest to you that this is actually a harder way to live than actually trying to keep the rules of the church or chasing after power. Uh, this is complicated. Uh, uh, it's, it's simpler, but it's, it's more demanding. L- love is difficult. Love is hard. Love requires sacrifice. Uh, love requires you not thinking of yourself, but thinking of someone else. God invites us to focus on him. I love my children. I love them so very much. And uh, if you're a parent here, you probably can identify with the story I'm about to tell. Uh, uh, Several years ago, uh, well, actually many years ago, I'm uh, (laughs) older than I admit, but when my daughter was a young teenager, a guy came to visit her. And uh, if you've been to this church before, you've probably heard me tell this story before, but he came to visit my daughter. And uh, my daughter met him at the door, and the door was locked. And he, she said, listen, I'm not allowed to have uh, boys in the house when my parents aren't here. And, uh, and so he wasn't happy with that idea, and so he tried to jump through windows. Uh, now, fortunately, we had burglar bars all over our house, and so he was unable to get in. But by the time I got home, uh, he was still there hanging around in the yard, and my daughter was in the house. And so I greeted him, went inside to find out what the story was spoke to my daughter who told me the story, and then I went back out to have a conversation with this young man still loitering in my yard. This is the conversation sort of went like this. I think you know that I'm a pastor. He said, yes, yes, Uncle Brian, I do. Uh, he said, well, great. Well, don't let that fool you. Is <laughs> it because if you mess with my daughter, I will take you out and not on a date (laughs) he looked it was I've never seen a kid so scared and I kind of felt sorry for him just looking up yes Uncle Brian yes Uncle Brian I said do you understand and I said because I love my daughter uh, and I'm going to defend her and so This is what I want you to do going forward. If my daughter speaks to you again, whatever she says to you, I want you to hear my voice. All right? And I want you to see my face. So when she says no, I want you to see me telling you no. You understand? Because yes. He said, because if you don't, I will take you out. I... Uh, on, a, on a regular basis embarrass my children by defending him in that way, my, my poor daughter. Uh, but this guy didn't mess with my daughter. Bottom line is, listen, don't mess with my kids, right? Just don't mess with my kids. It feels like you're messing with me when you mess with my kids. The, the, the flip side of that is that if you love my children, um, it feels like you're loving me. It's like one of the greatest Gifts to me if you love my kids. Uh, my youngest son lives in Texarkana, Texas, and he's part of this church. Uh, they are called um, City Church. And the pastor of the church's name is, is Robert. And Robert is a great guy. I'm going to ask him to actually listen to this sermon. He's just such a, such a super, super guy. I love Robert. 
uh, for many reasons. But the main reason why I love Robert is because he loves my son. And he loves my daughter-in-law. He loves uh, Chad and Brianna, both of them. He just loves them and does stuff for them. He, on a regular basis, sits and has coffee uh, with my son, Chad. They have a regular meeting every Friday morning. Uh, he basically buys coffee for Chad, and they sit and talk about uh, manly things. They talk about God. They talk about family and, and life and love. And uh, uh, Robert has been this amazing friend and counselor mentor to my son. I, it, it, I, Robert could pretty much do anything else. I, I will love Robert uh, for the rest of my life because of how he loves my son, Chad. I tell you this story because I want you to understand that this is how the Father sees his creation, his creations, his people. That's how God loves his people. And that's why this verse is so meaningful as he's, as he's deciding who's going to be with him for eternity and those who are going to be in hell. He's deciding that based on how they loved. When the people on his right came to him and said, he said, come, come into my kingdom, you're welcome. He says, because when I was sick, you, you took care of me. When I, was, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And these humble believers who are listening to him said, when do we ever see you sick? Or when do we ever see you uh, poor or, and hungry? And when do we ever see you in prison? He says, I tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of these of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You understand that the reason why love is such a, a, a key characteristic of our, of our faith is because love is an expression to God's people, his children. And so when we treat others badly, we are actually treating God badly. And let me tell you, God takes it personally. God loves. Therefore, we love. It is a part of who we are. And, oh, God, may we be known for this. Can you just imagine with me just for a moment a world that operated this way? Can you imagine if New Song Family Church was known for how it loved the community and for loved their neighbors, for loved a lost world, for how they loved their families and their children? I believe that it would turn the city upside down and around. Can you imagine if you, instead of thinking just about yourself, became a person who loved your wife or loved your husband instead of loving yourself more than them? Can you imagine as parents if you loved your children more than you loved yourself? Children, can you imagine if you loved your parents more than you loved yourself? Kids, <laughs> how life would be different, right? God has asked us to be loved by him so that we can be lovers of others. And he asked us to focus on, on him and the person next to us. That's the way. That's the new way that Jesus Christ died for. That's the invitation. Go successful. That we focus on him. Then God's power, the ritual of church, all those things are held in balance and understood through the filter and the lens of God's love. That's the invitation.
I invite you to, to ask the Lord to help you to be this kind of person. Look at your life. Evaluate your life today. Are, are you a rule follower? Or are you a lover of people? I'm not suggesting you shouldn't follow rules. I'm saying, is that all you're known for? Or are you known for loving? Are you known for all the miracles that you do? Or are you loving for, are you known for how you love? Unfortunately, we live in a world today that people are assessed more for all things that make no difference instead of how we love. God invites us to love. I'd like for you, as we just close today, just to look at the person next to you. Don't creep them out. Just look to the person next to them. Yeah, and evaluate. <laughs> and evaluate yourself. What's your perspective of that person? How have, you, how have you loved that person sitting next to you? Or has your relationship with them all been about yourself? I encourage you to make your relationship about them, to love them. Ask the question, how could I treat them the way I treat myself? What can I do for them? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace that is sufficient, that's enough for us, Father. Lord, we praise you that you loved us. And Lord, we know that through your power we'll be able to love others. Lord, it's not overwhelming because, Father, we are empowered by you, driven by your grace. Lord, we ask for forgiveness this morning for ways that we have not loved well. And Lord, we ask you to, to, to walk patiently with us, to teach us, to be those people that love well. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.